Are we ready, Norman? Nope. Whoop. It's happening. This thing is just low. <laughs> we have acting this morning. That's why there's all this excitement. <laughs> all right. They are. <laughs> the costume departments. Ready? Woohoo! All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the AASLH meeting here in St. Paul. We're very thrilled to be here. My name is Cinnamon Catlin Legetko. I'm the president and CEO of the Abbey Museum in Bar Harbor, Maine. I'm also a council member for ASLH, so we're very thrilled to have you here and have such a full room. I will quickly state, though, that I only have a cameo this morning. Our stars are in the back. They're all ready and um, willing to share some great information with you this morning. So my job is to set the stage, have a little bit of a speaking role, and then I'll disappear and turn it over to our speakers. Um, this session today is titled The Advantage, Keys to a Healthy Organization. While I set this up, I turn your attention to a website that you see on the screen which shows the address to um, take a survey. There's also an app. On, if you're an iTunes member, you can do the app. It's free. It's a wonderful survey. They'll return to that again and again today, but I wanted to just point to that before we get started. You're welcome to download that and get started while this session is going on. The importance of organizational health is the theme. It's tempting to focus on growth, but the key issue is organizational health. Equally tempting for history organizations is the concentration on research, interpretation, and programming at the expense of management. Patrick Lencioni, management consultant and best-selling author of The Advantage and the Five Dysfunctions of a Team, developed a model which places the emphasis on building a cohesive leadership team, creating organizational clarity, over-communicating clarity, and reinforcing that clarity. Very simple principles, but they require courage, discipline, and creativity. How many of you all are familiar with Lencioni's work? Raise your hand. Oh, you're in for a real treat. Your life's going to be changed learning about Patrick Lencioni's work. The organizational health model is a practical management tool through which organizations can harness the power of common goals and interests to create good history and to model the fact that we are greater than the sum of our parts, which in fact is our theme for this conference. Typically, public history professionals are mission-driven by nature and therefore battle the balancing of work and home. Patrick Lencioni also wrote the three big questions for a frantic family based on the premise that persons should restore the sanity to the most important organization in your life. Not surprisingly, clarity and communication are valuable on both the work and home fronts. So this management session has both professional and personal application. Quick word about our presenters. Since the mid-1980s, session presenters Kent Whitworth and Norman Burns have been committed to making public history, or history in general, accessible and engaging to people through historic sites, historical societies, and museums. Both have used Lencioni's writings and applied the organizational health model to the organizations they serve. And as an aside, they truly are extraordinary leaders. I always am impressed with their words. And Kent specifically is with the Kentucky Historical Society, and Norman is with Maymont in Richmond, Virginia. And finally, their goals for you today are to understand the basics of the organizational health model, be encouraged for you, they want you to be encouraged that this management model is practical and based on common sense, and they want you to be ready to begin to apply these concepts on both the work and home front. And in one final note, this session is being recorded, so when we do come to the Q&A, be sure to take the mic, and we'll get all that on tape. 
With that, I'm going to turn it over to our actors today. <laughs> oh, Norman, I got to tell you, this is this is absolutely going to be great. It's just going to be huge. Um, hey, do you know? You can go and grab those plants right there. Yeah. Do you know what is, is that wall over? There? Is that a load-bearing wall? Ken, I don't know. I, I realize this is going to be a huge project, but if it's a load-bearing wall, well, I, it may cost too much. Well, you know, I think we'll work those costs out a little bit later. I mean, we've just got to go, Nor. Hey, hey, excuse me. Um, gosh, I keep keep giving you all the... the i got to take this phone call. Your phone's buzzing? Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, hey um, I'm, actually, I'm in the middle of, a, of an important conversation. No, no, I'm, I'm afraid I can't pick Margaret up at, at soccer practice tonight. You know, I think, unfortunately, I'm going to be here another couple hours or so. We're still working on the building project, and, and, and then we've got to get over to the, to the membership campaign. So um, anyway, um, I, I'm really sorry, but I'll, hopefully uh, you'll still be up when I get home. Thanks. Bye. Uh, okay, now, now where were we? Well, we were actually talking about this wall and about this building expansion. And, and boss, I know that your strategic plan calls for expansion, and, and I know that we're trying to grow the organization. But, you know, this project might get out of hand, Norman, and we might not be able to sustain Norman, it. Norman, you just got to have vision. We, have, you, have you got that tape measure handy? I do have the tape measure okay, handy. Hold on just a second. Okay. Hey, can, 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 can you give me a hand there, Bill? Sure. Um, actually, <laughs> See, I'm seeing calls per square foot. We're right at 17. No, I think we can. I think we can make that work. All right, Bill. Once you step up, step out, and then let go of that. See, those are cost overruns. It's going right away, Norman. Yeah. It's all right. Absolutely flying right. You, away. you know, boss, this is all very exciting, but I'm just not sure. Uh, well, I tell you, you just you just got to have vision, like I was saying earlier. You know, it's about growth. It's about growth, and 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 you know, it, we'll we'll figure it out down the road. I mean, the board is with us. Uh, what little they know about the project, but it, it's just going to be—it's going to be fine. Yeah. So. Uh, okay, boss. All right. You, you know best. Yeah, just, just, just hang with us. It's all, all right. about forward all right. motion. We'll stop! Stop! We'll stop! We'll what is wrong with this picture? Where do we begin? Right. Right. Transition. Yeah. Applause. You have to answer that question. <laughs> you do have to answer that question. What's wrong with that picture? Thoughts too early. They're not on the same page. They're not on the same page at all. Anybody else? What's wrong with the picture? Not communicating. Not communicating. They were talking. Not listening. Not communicating, not listening. All right. Well, So they're working on two different goals, two different principles, or what, what was the premises, I'm sorry. So operating on the concept of money, perhaps. Yeah. Blowing off the family, thank you, because that's two important parts of what this session is about today. Anything else? Not communicating with your board. <laughs> Boy, that'll get you in trouble. I can't get a hide. Anything else? Can we talk about the quality of the actors? <laughs> <laughs> that won't take long. Yeah. You know, the, yeah, Bill needs some work. You know, I mean, the tape measure release was a little slow, Jim. This is not Second City. Vision was mentioned a couple times, but it didn't seem to share. 
Ooh, yes. Vision was shared a couple of times, but it didn't seem to be shared. Yeah. Sometimes the boss has a vision that doesn't get shared with either the staff or the board sometimes. Conflict between vision and practicality. How about disregard for the financials? Disregard for the financials. Wow. So what do you think? Is this organization healthy? Perhaps not. <laughs> Even though, wow, Kent, it looks like your organization, you got plans for annual fund, capital campaign. You got nice charts there. <laughs> All right. We have another skit, I think, at this time that we're going to, that we're going to do that uh, hopefully will drive home uh, the second, uh, second point. So you're going to go. What a day. What a day. All I feel like doing is sitting here and vegging, eating my Cheetos and drinking my Dr. Pepper. God, what a staff. What a board. <sighs> Honey, the kids and I are going to the park to walk the dog and play around the lake. Afterwards, we're going to drop by that new yogurt place. You want to go? Honey, I've had one heck of a day. I'm just tired. All I want to do is sit here and relax and not have to think about anything. Y'all go on without me. If I feel like it later, maybe I'll join you. Honey, the kids and I are going to the park to walk the dog, and afterwards uh, we're thinking about that new yogurt place if there's not a Dairy Queen nearby. Um, do you want to go? It's been a demanding but fulfilling day. I'm pretty tired. I think I'll hit the treadmill. You sure you don't want to go ahead and uh, join us at the park? Well, uh, absolutely. I can't imagine a better end to a day than getting outside to exercise and have fun with my family. Hmm. All right. So, so do you want to be Norman with the Dr. Pepper and the Cheetos? Or do you want to be Cinnamon who is fulfilled, pretty exhausted, but didn't blow off the family? Maybe it was the yogurt instead of the family. You never know. But <laughs> it would have been the Dairy Queen for me, I tell you. So what's, what's wrong with this picture here? Cheetos, Dr. Pepper... Downward spiral, yeah, yeah. Anything else? No exercise? No exercise? No, not balanced. And if it didn't balance, it's not sustainable for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. Obviously, Cinnamon made a different choice. Uh, do you think she came back from the park more invigorated or less invigorated? Yeah. Isn't that the crazy thing about getting outside and, and exercising and... Yeah. Any other comments, uh, Jim? And the Oscar goes to? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how diplomatic, right? <laughs> okay. Well, if nothing else, uh, we, uh, we hope that when you leave this session, you might think about um, subpar acting perhaps, but, but that maybe some of these obvious points are, are driven home a little bit. So um, anyway, we're going to transition. Thank you so much, Cinnamon. We deeply... <laughs> Let's give Cinnamon a round of applause. Would you like the Cheetos or the Dr. Pepper as your parting gift? Yeah. <laughs>
folks, what we'd like to draw your attention to, for those of you that have just recently arrived in the room, the early arrivers noticed the screen up, uh, up here, and for those of you that are listening uh, via the internet, uh, we actually have uh, uh, an, an app that you can download, and that will be made available to you, but if you're... Uh, if you'd like to Google uh, thetablegroup.com, that's uh, Patrick Lencioni's um, uh, consulting uh, group, and you can actually download an organizational health. For those of you in the room that have not done it, if you want to download that app on your uh, smartphone, you can actually take the survey, and we're okay with you doing that as we're speaking. You can actually take the survey and see how your organization rates uh, as far as a healthy organization or not. And we'd like for you to maybe some of you share that. Whether you get the survey taken or not, perhaps after you've listened to a few of our comments today, you'll be able to share with us at the end. So does that sound like a, sound like a plan? Yeah. All right, you ready to get started? Yep. I, I had to, you notice I had to look at my boss because. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, one thing that you need to know about organizational health is it really trumps everything. I know that we think fundraising. I know that we think charts. All, all these things uh, has to trump everything, but it's not. Uh, for those at home, we have a graphic up on the slide that shows uh, a crew team uh, rowing, and uh, it says if you could get all the people in the organization rowing in the same direction, you could dominate any industry in any market against any competition at any time. Why can't we do that? I mean, museums, uh, a lot of for-profit companies, but especially mu museums have a hard time operating as functional teams. Uh, museums are typically a group of diverse, talented people, skills, abilities, and interests, so that's a good thing. Uh, but we're in, in an increasingly uh, competitive world, even with ourselves sometimes, and that makes it difficult. Museum personnel are often trained and are rewarded for individual or departmental thinking. I know that may cut very close to the bone to all of us, but it's true, and that sometimes is the rub of the problem. We have challenges in the museum community that our for-profit uh, um, colleagues don't have, and that includes generally top-down management, fiefdoms and silos uh, within the organization itself, intellectual capital within the organization. Some people in, in certain divisions want to control that information, and it's theirs, and they don't want to share it with other departments, and sometimes don't even want to share it with the organization. Uh, overworked and underpaid. Is anybody in here not overworked and underpaid? If you are, I want to join your, your organization. How many of you feel overwhelmed most days as museum professionals? Oh, there's got to be, everyone's got to raise your hand. Don't you feel overwhelmed all the time? So healthy organizations understand that they're actually greater than the sum of the parts, and that's really what this, uh, uh, what this is about today. So today's agenda, and uh, uh, Cinnamon actually shared that uh, earlier, is how can museums become a greater than the sum of our parts? We're going to focus on health rather than growth, explore how achieving organizational personal health really go hand in hand, especially uh, Kent's going to bring that home at the end of the session today, and understand the basics of the organizational health model. It's practical and common sense, and how we can apply those concepts both at, uh, on the work front and at home. I have a graphic up on the screen that shows the four disciplines of organizational health, and you can see that the graphic shows that there's a plus sign there, so it really just adds up. And once again, I encourage you to go to Patrick Lencioni's uh, website, his consulting group, the table group, and all of that information is there. So this is not, this is not something that Kent Whitworth and Norman Burns has created. Uh, this is all Patrick Lencioni's uh, uh, concepts. Uh, Kent and I have both been using Patrick Lencioni for the better part of a decade now. Uh, just love the work that he does, and so that's why we like to share it when we can with others uh, in our profession to try to build a healthier uh, history community and uh, uh, 
and museum community. And you can see the four disciplines are build a cohesive leadership team, create clarity in the organization, over communicate that clarity, and finally reinforce that clarity. And so those are the things that we're going to be uh, talking about uh, today. Organizational health is about making your museum function effectively by those four things of the uh, cohesive leadership team. Uh, and if you do that, as uh, Cinnamon said earlier, you're going to have it simple, but you're going to have an organization that has courage, discipline, and creativity uh, to move forward. Would you like to say anything else before we move forward? We're, we're running a little short on time here, so uh, let's go ahead and talk about uh, the first discipline, and that's uh, building a cohesive leadership team. And really, if you think about the pyramid, and you start at the base of the pyramid, and you work your way up, and you work your way up through trust, conflict, commitment, accountability, and results. So a healthy organization is one where the team, everyone can trust one another. It's one that engages in unfiltered conflict around ideas. And I'm going to ask you, we can, we can talk about these things later, but I want to introduce the principles to you. But, um, uh, and then I'm going to encourage you to read the book and, and all the other things. And then once they've trusted one another, once they've engaged in, in unfiltered conflict around an idea and they kind of get some consensus uh, on that, then they commit to uh, that decision and a plan of action uh, for doing those items. Wrong way. Then they hold each other accountable for delivering those plans. In our little skit, there wasn't a lot of accountability there, was there? So you can see that that happens quite often in organizations. And finally, what else did it show in the skit? That wasn't a collective result, was it? That was a one-way street. So a strong team, a strong, effective leadership team is going to do all those things, starting with trust, not, not stepping away from conflict, committing to things, holding each other accountable, and then delivering as a team for the betterment of the organization. Uh, and, and the flip side of that with the absence of trust, and you're going to recognize some of these things, uh, there's fear of being vulnerable. And this is what we find in our museum community quite a bit with team members preventing the building of trust. Uh, and there's a lot of things that, uh, uh, that results in that, um, but the main thing is uh, they can't trust one another and be generally vulnerable with each other. And there's several other things that you're going to find, uh, once again, that a weak uh, members of a trusting uh, team can, can do. Next is fear of conflict. Uh, the key to change, if you, uh, Roseanne Cash has a great, uh, great quote here, the key to change is to let go of fear. And that's what Patrick Lencioni is talking about when we talk about fear of conflict. Sometimes we're afraid of confronting others in the organization. We kind of clam up because we're afraid that we're going to offend them or they're going to offend us. But you know what? If you trust one another, you can be open with one another, you're going to be able to do that. Artificial harmony that in most museum um, uh, environments really creates a dysfunctional team. Uh, when you say, oh, everything's fine, and I'm not going to get angry with you, and those types of things, it's really counterproductive uh, to, to what's going on. So teams that engage in conflict are actually going to regularly engage in productive and unfiltered conflict around important issues. And that doesn't mean that you're arguing all the time, but it does mean if you have an opinion, you have the trust in your colleagues around you that you can express that opinion, that it can be heard, that perhaps you can win the day. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe they'll accept that they're wrong because they trust you and your opinion. So all those things are things that uh, uh, teams that engage in conflict will do. Lively, interesting meetings. Uh, they'll actually exploit the ideas of others on the team instead of not listening to them, solve real problems quickly, minimize politics, put critical topics on the table for discussion. And then lack of commitment is once again 
when clarity is, uh, has a hard time. It prevents uh, team members from making decisions in a timely and definitive uh, uh, way. Uh, a team that commits, though, to that is actually going to leave meetings with clear-cut, active, and specific agreements around decisions, and they're going to be doing a lot of other things. It's going to give clarity to the organization, aligning the entire team around the common objectives is one. Uh, develops an ability to learn from each other's mistakes, all because they've committed all these things. And then finally, avoidance of accountability. What that's going to do is the need to avoid personal discomfort prevents the team members from holding one another accountable for their behaviors. However, a team that holds each other accountable will hold each other accountable for the commitments and behaviors of not only each other but the entire organization to ensure that poor performers feel the pressure to improve. That's not just the CEO or the executive director's job. In a functional team, that's everybody. You all hold each other accountable and you work through that. Uh, it identifies potential problems quickly by questioning one another's approaches without hesitation. And once again, there's several other uh, points to be made there. Finally, inattention to results. Uh, a team that shows inattention to results is a desire for individual credit uh, erodes the focus on the collective results. Did you see that in the skit this morning? You had, an, you had a director that had a vision, had an individual goal, did not, someone back there didn't share, didn't share the vision with everyone else. And so as a result of that, you notice that the employee continued to kind of cower down and finally said, all right, you know best. My opinion's not gonna be uh, heard. And so that winds up being a very difficult thing. So a team that focuses on collective results, the leadership team is focused on the team first, always the team first. They put the collective priorities and needs of the large organization ahead of their own departments. Now, if they have unfiltered conflict, if they have debate and such, their individual ideas are gonna be heard and they're gonna come out. So individually, they're going to accomplish things as a team. So that's the difference. If you focus on the one, if you focus on yourself, you're, you're gonna forget about everyone else. So this is, a, once again, one of those healthy, uh, healthy models that uh, helps the organization. Uh, it also minimizes individualistic behaviors in, in a lot of teams that you find. We're gonna move on to the second thing, but I wanna, we wanna give you a couple examples of, of uh, once again, this idea of trust and, um, and, um, and the idea of, of building an effective leadership team. I'm gonna give you a brief example uh, that, was, that, that was successful at the time, continues to be somewhat successful, but both Kent and I are gonna to admit to you, this is a daily process. This is not a template where you apply this one day and then everything is hunky-dory for the rest. Of it, it is something you have to do each and every day. So we have had successes and we continue to have failures every week. It's something you have to stay focused on. Let me tell you about one particular thing that I did. I introduced uh, this concept, I've done it with uh, two different organizations now, but I introduced this concept uh, two months in uh, to the current job I'm on at Maymont. I've been there about eight years now. Uh, we have a terribly dysfunctional organization uh, with 10 departments, very siloed, uh, we're a general museum, uh, historical, zoological, and botanical disciplines uh, uh, at our organization, all pretty much working independent. So a management group, people that reported the work they did, not necessarily work together. So introduced this concept, and we did all of the exercises with the dysfunctional team, all the things that you're looking here. Everything seemed to be going great. People were beginning to embrace it. We took the Lencioni's test, and we seemed to all be on the same uh, page after coming out of our retreat after about two or three months in. Then we get into my first budget process <laughs> with this leadership team. Oh my gosh, anything that was effective that we had learned 
immediately went back to silos. If any silos came down, they were quickly built back up and then fortified during the budget process. So after going through two budget meetings with the leadership team, uh, I knew that I had to use a guerrilla tactic, which I do occasionally, and so I thought this is either going to, this is going to work or I'm probably going to be fired, but either way something's got to happen. So as we're sitting there, everyone debating uh, and having issues with the way we were going to develop the, the vision for the work plan for the next year, I said, okay, everyone stop, stop. I said, this isn't working. I said, we've gone through a process where we're, gonna, we're supposed to have a functional team, um, and I said, it's not happening. I said, we've all reverted back to the way we are. I said, I've been a failure as a leader already. Your failures, you're all fired. Yeah, that's exactly kind of the response that was in the room at that point. And so everyone's like, oh, crap. You know. Did you fire <laughs> uh, yourself? Uh, yes, I, and I said, and I'm actually uh, turning in my resignation uh, to, the, uh, to the board president this afternoon. So I made it clear that we were all gone. Let that settle in for just a second. And then I said, so we're all going to turn our keys in at the end of the day. I'm going to turn them in to the board president. I said, but here's the rub. Tomorrow, a whole new group of people are going to arrive at the gates, and they're going to have our keys. They're going to have the same assets that we had today. So let me ask you this. Are they going to operate Maymont the same way we are today, or are they going to do it differently? Everyone around the table began to chime in. They said, well, no one would operate Maymont the way we do right now. <laughs> Aha! So that became the Remaking Maymont Initiative. And that, that was the thing, it did not tear down the silos that day, but it did open up a space where we could begin that process over again. And I can tell you the silos go up and down periodically in our organization. This director has highs and lows in remembering how to make our team effective. But that's an example sometimes of how organizations, I, I mentioned earlier about museums, how we, can, we have a hard time with this. And in the case of our organization, that worked. And Ken, I think you have an example uh, as well. I, I do, and, and you know, I was sitting there thinking, uh, you know, these these platitudes are great. I, you know, the pyramid is wonderful, but what the heck does it look like? And I think I think Norman just gave you a powerful example of of the kind of sometimes dramatic tactics and conversations you've got to have for a leadership team to truly be uh, cohesive. Um, I'll give you a, a less dramatic but a fairly effective uh, example. Um, one of the things that Patrick Lencioni is big on is personal histories. How cool is that? You know, that he, that's his phrase, personal histories, and it's a strategy that he suggests people use um, to build cohesion among a leadership team in this particular case. And it's not real complicated. All the better for somebody like me. You know, I don't have to parse out all these multi-steps. It's as simple as sitting down with your leadership team and asking an open-ended question like, um, and we've done a couple of different things, but one of the questions uh, I used at a quarterly offsite once was, so we're going to go around the room and I want everybody to, to tell us, you know, what's the most significant thing you've been a part of uh, in the last three months? It can be professional, it can be personal. Going around the table, learning some things about everybody. Come to our uh, uh, chief uh, financial officer, and, and most of them were sort of fun and upbeat, and she said, well, you know, mine really doesn't fall into that category. Um, you know, I've got four kids, and uh, they're all grown, and now I'm raising two grandchildren. And she said, it took me a little while to, I was a little embarrassed, a little frustrated, 
and and now I'm into it and I'm 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 being fed emotionally, you know, by getting to know my grandkids even better. I get goosebumps telling you guys that story. I tell you, those kind of conversations start to change things. And it's not like, okay, whatever our CFO uh, does is good with me because she's dealing with that on the home front. But there's, there's, that, there's that gathering aspect. There's that, that shared sense of, of, uh, of we're doing life together. And, and like it or not, we're spending probably more time with these professional colleagues than we do the people we love and adore at home. And that's just the way it works. Um, we'll talk a little more about the balance there. The other simple thing we've done, and I'm sure you guys have probably done this around your dining room table or your breakfast table with your family, but we'll just say highs and lows. You know, what's the high in the last three months? What's the low? And, and uh, so anyway, those are really very powerful tools that break down the pretense very quickly. And, and you start to, to develop some empathy and some understanding but then you get some issues on the table. And it's not about trying to uh, pry on a personal level. It's, it's, it's just, um, it, 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 but, it, but it does, uh, and I think the, the power of what Norman talked about is, um, you know, it really jolted him, that group, to the point where they said, one of the great things about this field is the passion. And that's why it was late. The pep rally broke out upstairs. And you know, it was just palpable. And I don't know about you all, but I just feed on that. And so we are not necessarily looking for more energy. We've got all the energy we need. But what we've got to do is break down some of the silos and be candid and just say, you know, I care about this so much that I'm willing to fight for it. And if it means engaging in conflict in a conversation, then I'm going to do it. The real important distinction that Lencioni makes is fight for the work, but don't ever let it get personal. And I think as leaders, that's where we've got to draw the line. If it starts to get personal, you better stop, just like Cinnamon did earlier, stopping on the dime. Because once you've crossed that, boy, it just deteriorates so quickly. But if you can eventually create an environment where you can be candid and fight about the organization and its needs and its impact, um, but don't let it get personal. So that, I think, is really the key to uh, building a cohesive team. I have very little clarity without my iPad, so um, anyway. Let me just toggle down. Yeah. Um, all right, so the, if I believe, yeah, you see the um, beloved red circle up there, and uh, building a cohesive leadership team is number one. The second one is creating clarity. Um, there are a series of, of questions that Lencioni uh, feels like every healthy organization needs to be able to um, answer. Yeah, uh, right off the bat, you see those cascading down there. Cascading is another word he likes. But um, So why do we exist? We're going to work from the bottom up. If, if you all cannot coalesce around a simple answer about why does this organization exist, quite frankly, it doesn't matter if it's a load-bearing wall or not. You know, it just doesn't. Um, uh, how do we behave? What the heck do we do on the good days, on the bad days? What is it that we do? And I hate this one, truthfully. <laughs> what does success look like? Man, I tell you, sometimes that haunts me. I see a few heads nodding. Um, and then this is another one. What is most important? Lincioni um, states the obvious. He likes to say, if everything is important, nothing is important. 
And I think that's a really, really powerful concept. And then obviously, if you focus on what is important, then you got to figure out, well, who's going to do what? And so if you're looking for um, questions to probe and find some conflict, uh, show of hands, you think this will uh, generate some, some healthy tension and some conflict? I don't, yeah. Um, do most of you feel like you could give the 60-second elevator speech and, and answer these very succinctly? I'm uh, somewhere between three for six and, and two for six, um, quite frankly. I don't know about the rest of you. Um, anybody have any thoughts about how you've tackled this and maybe achieved some clarity around these real basic concepts? But if you can't address these, you're, you're going to have a bear of a time. Are you pedaling so hard you don't even think about these <laughs> kinds of things? You just keep doing on, going on, doing your thing? Let me just share one example. Um, we have, we've had several different iterations of, of answers to these questions. And I, I won't, no, that's all right, that's all right. Um, what we've got right here is what we call an identity statement. Stay by the mic, stay by the mic. Um, <laughs> the identity statement. And we, we uh, thanks, we, we intentionally keep it on one page and, and, and a lot of us have been known to you know, water it up and put it in our pocket or our coat pocket or whatever. Um, but it, it really, you don't want this to become rote pet answers. But if you, haven't, if you haven't wrestled these issues to the ground and you can't succinctly address these issues internally or externally, then over-communicating over clarity or, heaven forbid, reinforcing clarity is never going to happen. So I think one of the most powerful things that Lencioni does is say, until you've got a pretty good handle on these core statements or the answers of these core questions, don't get out of, you know, don't get any further down the road because it's all going to come crumbling down if you haven't managed these kinds, of, these kinds of issues. There are lots of different exercises to go through, um, very various themes on this, but, but I cannot strongly enough encourage you, get down to the basics, get it on a sheet of paper, uh, stitch it on a pillow, tattoo it on your forehead, whatever you need to do, reinforce those messages. Um, I, I don't know if you want to get back into this, but um, this is a building block that you better not move forward until, and, until you've, and, and, and this is not one, something that you figure out once and for all, you've staked the flag and you move on. You're going to need to circle back to these things, but I don't, because I don't know about your all's organization, but we have both internal and external variables that, that impact uh, where we're going and, um, uh, you know, what does success look like, all those kinds of things. So um, the temptation is to be very proud once you've got it to this and think, oh, I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to look back. You know, you will circle back and you will circle back with regularity. But I'm, I'm, I'm totally uh, here to tell you that for us it has been more than worth that. So hand back off to you. Yes. Yeah, great, John. Great question. Um, Repeat the uh, question. Yes. We, uh, did the board and the staff work together to, de to, to develop responses, answers to these questions to get what we call our identity statement? Interestingly enough, our leadership team, based on a lot of feedback from the various 
functional teams is what we call it within our organization. We drafted this, and then we took this to a 10-member uh, strategic planning board work group. And ironically, I thought our entire leadership team, there are about eight of us, were going to want to be in on that retreat. And I was amazed and caught off guard when they said, nope, you and Scott need to go, our assistant director. We trust you guys to deliver the message. And the dynamic in the room with 12 is different than the dynamic in the room with 20. And so, you know, it was one of those uh, surprising examples that they trusted us. We had agonized. You know, doesn't it kill you? You spend hours and hours and hours and you come up with this, and yet there's such power in that. So the answer is Scott and I were the only staff in the room when this really hit the board, and then they, you know, made the final tweaks to it. But there was lots of staff leading up to that. Yeah, so I don't know if any other questions, any comments, examples of, of focusing on these core questions that have served you well going forward? Okay, great. The one thing as you, for those of you that are being introduced to Patrick Lencioni for the first time today, one of the things that you're going to discover as you begin to look at his materials and read his books is even though he came out of the management consulting, he is a management consulting uh, person, uh, he is very humanistic. Uh, he is definitely has humanities at his core. And look at these questions. I mean, these are questions that we as museum uh, uh, professionals actually use in creating our strategic uh, plans. Why do we exist? I mean, that's the, that's the mission thing, trying to find that out. How do we behave? What do we do? How will we succeed? What is most important and who must do what? These are the building blocks uh, for any, whether it's an organizational strategic plan or you're looking at your division or your department and you're working as a team to ask these questions and begin to move forward with that. So I think it's a very powerful tool and I know that we're doing, once again, going through a similar exercise that, uh, that uh, Ken has used uh, at Kentucky Historical Society for our next strategic plan. We're in the process of developing that now. Our leadership team uh, is actually answering this and we're uh, building our statement uh, uh, this fall. And so this is just a process that you go through and a very powerful uh, tour, uh, tool. So let's move on to the third discipline. We've talked about how the four disciplines of a healthy organization includes building a cohesive leadership team first, and then Kent just talked about creating clarity. Now I'd like to talk about the third discipline, which is over-communicating uh, clarity. And that's done primarily through what Lencioni calls cascading messages. And for those of you that are uh, on the internet, you're not seeing this, but there was actually the word cascading messages, cascading actually up, not down on, on the screen. So communicating clarity to everyone within the organization is imperative. And you don't just do it once. You have to do it over and over and over and use different mechanisms for doing that. The leadership team has to clearly communicate those six aspects of clarity to all employees. So once you've answered those six questions, those six important questions about what your organization is going to be, then everyone on the team not only has to embrace it because they trust one another, because they've engaged in, once again, uh, a discussion about that and they're holding each other accountable and they're looking at it for the, for the good of the team, um, but they want to communicate that down to everyone within the organization. So they take it to divisions or they take it to departments, they take it all the way down to the front line so the entire organization understands that. Team members regularly remind the people in their departments about those aspects of clarity. You don't come out of the leadership team meeting, communicate it once and it's over. None of this happens once. It happens over and over. They leave meetings. Uh, the members of the leadership team leave meetings with clear and specific agreements about what to communicate to their employees, and they cascade those messages quickly after meetings. 
You don't wait until after you've done that report for the CEO and get around to it in the afternoon. You leave immediately and you communicate that to your team. Employees are able to accurately uh, uh, articulate the organization's reasons for existence, values, strategic anchors, and goals. Let me repeat that. Employees are able to accurately articulate the organization's reasons for existence, values, strategic uh, anchors, and goals. I say that because that's a cascading message. I want you to remember it. Uh, but also because if a CEO were to walk out into the organization, as we, as we have to do, and ask any employee uh, what the strategic vision is, what we're working on now, every employee should be able to articulate that. If that's not happening, the cascading messaging is not working. You're not over-communicating those values, and you're beginning to see uh, some things that are, that are going wrong. We'd like to give you some examples that I'm going to start with a, a, an example, actually, at Maymont, the way we do this. Um, and Ken is actually going to talk about uh, meetings uh, after we do the fourth discipline. Uh, but the way we cascade our information is we use weekly stand-up meetings and we use monthly uh, uh, strategic meetings and, and then quarterly uh, off-sites uh, for planning. Then we have an all-staff meeting once a month. But out, coming out of the stand-up meeting, uh, we actually communicate the things to our staff by putting it on our internal uh, website. So the things that you need to know uh, is actually on there. So that's one way we uh, communicate the basic information to those employees and then the department heads go back and communicate that uh, as well. We do it through our all-staff meetings, so the important things we actually give presentations on to the, to the host staff uh, and do that regularly. We also, I send out information, the same information out to the board so they're aware, uh, once again, uh, of what we're doing as an organization. So that's just an example of what we do, and I think Ken's got some, some uh, other examples. Yeah, I do. Um, how many of you have flown Southwest Airlines? All right, so tell me, what, it, what is it like to interact with Southwest Airlines? What do you think their core values might be? Love. Love, all right. All right, seriously. Customer service, yeah. Friendliness. Humor. Anything else? I was on a, a Patrick Lencioni webinar last Friday. They're free, and if you know, they do about six a year. Um, I recommend them. I've listened to several. The senior vice president for business development uh, at Southwest Airlines was on there, and he was talking about over-communicating been with the company for 40 years. I couldn't even see the guy, but I could hear his enthusiasm in his voice. You know, at that point, you think he's just counting his money or just sort of mailing it in, thinking about retirement. So engaged. And he said, my guess is you could go to any employee, and I don't know if they said they had 40,000. It was just a remarkable uh, number. But he said, I think you could go to virtually any of our employees, and they could not only recite in robotic, robotic fashion the core values of the organization, but he said, I think they could not only say it, but they would mean it. And, and I just loved even the way they crafted their core values. Um, the first one is, have a warrior's spirit. He said, we could have said work hard, but we said, have a warrior's spirit. Talk about problem solving on the fly. How's a warrior? going to handle that. By golly, this is not going to conquer me. I'm going to figure it out. So there are only three of them, which is sort of about the brevity. Have a warrior's spirit. Somebody said customer service. The second one is have a servant's heart. He said, you know, we could have said be nice, but he said we, he said we decided we wanted it to be a more emotive you know, there's a lot of emotion, you know, usually good within, you know, our, our organizational culture. 
So a warrior's spirit and a servant's heart. And then what do you think the third one is? Somebody said humor. Yeah, the third one is have a fun-loving attitude. And then he went on to say, and I absolutely love this. He went on to say, he said, if you aren't either literally or figuratively willing to take a pie in the face, you're not going to stay at Southwest Airlines very long. Because, you know, we take the work really seriously, but we do not take ourselves that seriously. And he said, that's not, you know, that's not just the great folks you see on the commercials or what have you. He said, from our CEO to all of our leadership team, all the way through the organization, we have literally and figuratively taken that pie in the face on a regular basis. Sometimes you just have to have a little levity. But I just loved the way they very succinctly and use these emotionally charged phrases. And it's no wonder that that just infiltrated the culture. You know, be nice, work hard. Yeah, boy, that'll stir the fire in the belly. That'll just stir the soul, won't it? Um, and so I, I just absolutely love that. That was a perfect example, in my opinion, of over-communicate. And don't just over-communicate, you know, the real dynamic, you know, have the little plain paper, but the things that really matter, those tools, you know, when it's pouring down rain and somebody's upset because you've lost their luggage for the 10th time or whatever, these are things you can go to that are going to serve you well, that will redirect your perspective so that you can say true to why you exist and all those kind of things. So I just love that Southwest Airlines example. Hopefully you find that useful and inspirational. So let's move, let's move on to the fourth discipline. Uh, we've talked about to have a healthy organization, you have to start with building a cohesive leadership team. Then you have to create clarity within not only that uh, uh, leadership team, but also the organization. Then you need to over-communicate that clarity to, once again, the leadership team and all across the organization. And then finally, you need to reinforce uh, that uh, clarity. And that starts uh, with creating a structure through human systems that reinforce the clarity going forward. And you can do that in a lot of ways. You do that through hiring. You do that through the orientation uh, that you're doing with the people that you hire. You do that through performance management. The organization uh, can have simple ways to ensure that these new hires uh, are carefully selected based upon the company's values. If you've answered those six questions and you're looking at the profile of what your team needs to look like, then you're going to be able to find people that are going to be uh, part of the system, that are going to be able to embrace uh, these, uh, these six questions and the values uh, uh, that you've created. So that's what you're looking for. And I know that seems counter. Oh, I'm looking for the best curator, someone who has those credentials. I'm looking for that best finance director, someone that has. Yes, you are, but you're also looking for someone that can effectively embrace these values that your organization is representing. When new people are finally brought in to the organization, after you've kind of vetted that through the hiring process, then you need to thoroughly teach them. Even though you've kind of gotten it in the hiring process interview that they're going to fit with your team, they get it you still have to reinforce that with them uh, through the orientation process. And then finally, managers throughout the organization have a simple, consistent, and non-bureaucratic system for setting goals and reviewing progress with their employees. And that system is uh, customized around the elements of clarity. So you allow your divisions, you allow your managers to be able to create a process uh, of reward, of praise, in the things that you're doing. Uh, and that's, uh, uh, once again, part of what we're doing. Employees who don't fit the values are managed out of the organization. 
plain and simple. I know that's hard for us to do in museums. God bless them. They work for nothing. You know, we don't get paid anything. God bless them. Um, but you know what? If they're, if they're not functional, if they're not helping the team out, then you have to take that process, you have to manage it, and you have to get those people out of the organization. For those of you that know Jim Collins and you know all of his work, you know about getting the right people on the bus and getting those that are, uh, you know, off, off the bus that aren't part of that, that's uh, part of this, uh, what you're doing. So poor performers who don't fit the values are given the coaching first and, and the assistance is needed, and if they can't change, then they're shown the exit of the bus. Compensation uh, and reward systems are built around the values and goals of the organization. I know that sounds counter to museums as well, because most museums, the, the way we look at what we're doing is, oh my God, are we going to make budget this year? <laughs> And if we do, we've got a job for another year. We're not even thinking about reward. We're not thinking about how we rate the performances of our employees. And I'm here to tell you that you have to do that. You have to have an effective system in place that, that looks at all these things. And then you need to have a reward system uh, that does the same thing. Uh, I'm going to give you an example of one that we've implemented. We've actually had a performance review process at Maymont for quite a while, but we're using it a little bit differently now. And I can tell you in the, in the fiscal year that we just completed FY14, we gave no raises. We talked to the leadership team about why we weren't doing that. We talked to the leadership team about how we wanted to perform, the goals that we were setting. We did set a budget in place that had a small surplus. And then we talked about what our main goal was for the year. And we said, you know what, if we achieve that, and we talked to our executive committee and board about it, if we achieve that, then we will reward the organization and the high performers at the end of the year. That was a new concept for us. I can tell you that the goal we set, we actually exceeded. Uh, we wound up with a surplus close to a six-figure, uh, and it was budgeted a whole lot lower than that. And I can tell you we're getting ready to not only uh, put, uh, uh, take those bonuses and apply them, but we uh, also put in a 2% uh, pool for FY15 for races. And so we're going to be giving bonuses for performance uh, for FY14 for the good performers for that year. We're giving raises because the organization performed so well, and so employees are actually getting money for the performance of the prior year plus what they're going to be doing the next year. And so we have a pool of money that's basically everything from 1% all the way up to 9% that employees are receiving because of that performance. You want to talk about motivation. Uh, it started, it's starting to motivate our employees. Now, if the economy goes bad again, I mean, you have to adjust as you go along. This happened to be the way that we're able to do it this year. We'll have to reevaluate. We may not have the same type of funding, but we'll come up with different ways. We've asked our employees, is it just about money? And I think everyone in this room, you would say, no, we're not on the job for the money. We have passion for history. We have passion for the arts. We have passion for whatever it is that we're doing. And we want to be heard. We want to have an ability to deliver that. And if you can find ways to help us do that. And a lot, a lot of times, it's actually the model we're talking about. They want to be in a healthy organization. They want to be an organization that hears them, that can actually, that they can express their passion through. And then you have to find a way for them to use those talents. Sometimes you reward them with money. Sometimes you reward them with other items. And you have to listen to the employees. And we do that a lot. We actually, uh, both at the leadership level and management level, we let the employees express back some of the, some of the programs that they would like to see in place with the organization. So that's just one example. And Ken, I think you have others uh, that you would like to share. Yeah, I'd like, like to say a couple of things about reinforcing clarity within the human system uh, within your organizations. Um, 
Our greatest assets, obviously, are our colleagues, our, our staff, and, and um, um, we've tried to really concisely come up with a, sort of a mantra and a framework when we think about hiring in particular. Uh, Bill Hybels wrote a book called Courageous Leadership a number of years ago, and he talks about, um, he talks about uh, character, competency, and chemistry in that order. That's what we're looking for, character, competency, and chemistry. And that has been a very succinct but, but uh, substantial way for us to think about um, uh, who we would like to join the Kentucky Historical Society. And, and we tend to look at those three categories throughout the interview process and all that. And, and so I've read lots more detailed uh, work about you know, frameworks for hiring and all that, but, but character, competency, and chemistry. And the chemistry one is a little bit of a, a wild card, at, I think, in some cases. Um, but then I go back to the point, you spend a whole lot of time with these people. And if even in the interview it didn't click, what in the world are you doing for yourself, the organization, or them? You think it's going to get any better? Everybody's on good behavior in interview mode. What in the world? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the best part of the honeymoon, you know. And so um, that chemistry piece is, I don't care how confident they are. They may even be chock full with character, but there ultimately isn't chemistry. You can forget it. So I, I think that's a really important set of uh, concepts to, to use as you reinforce clarity in your hiring and your performance management and all that kind of thing. Um, the other thing I want to say about Lencioni, he was the first guy that gave me permission to move somebody out of our organization because of fit or the lack thereof. And that was incredibly empowering to say, you know, because many of the, the, the changes we had to make partially were fit, but we had the cover of budget cuts. And then we got to the place where the budget stabilized, and there were still some folks that were really capable, good, committed professionals. They just didn't fit the organizational culture we were trying to, to create. So, all right, which was more impactful, words or actions? Absolutely. So we can show you all the pyramids and all the circles and all the diagrams we want. And if we can recite the core values, but there's a colleague or two that doesn't mean to be, but quite frankly, they're an obstructionist. Tell you deal with that. Your talk is pretty darn cheap and you really aren't reinforcing clarity. I'm not saying leave and Patrick Lencioni says to fire everybody. No, I think he's saying who folks are redeemable. Get to know their personal histories. If you'll give them clarity, then they can do their thing. There are a zillion tools. But at the end of the day, you know, we think, oh, that's going to be so hard on that individual and the family. And it is, and I hate it. Absolutely hate it. You know, I just get all torn up in knots. Any of us have had to do that. Have you ever thought about the other folks in the organization and the impact that you're unwillingness to deal with that has on on them and their productivity or their emotional health and well-being and so I really appreciated Lencioni saying you do it sparingly but if you need to do it suck it up and do it and if you've created the right kind of clarity and organizational culture the board's going to get it the staff's going to get it it all builds together and so I, it's one of the most powerful things Cinnamon is a big fan of uh, Five Dysfunctions of the Team, a great book. I remember reading that on the way back from his Donald North, John Durrell is in here. Reading, and thank you, John Durrell, for introducing us to Patrick Lencioni and to Jim Collins and all that. There's a generation of us that are so in your debt for your leadership, your wisdom, and your sharing of resources. So uh, I always want to say that. 
Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, and so I read that book for the first time, and when we hit the ground, I was reading all the way back from New Orleans, hit the ground and realized, you know, our advancement person has got to go. And it was, they did everything in that book but call her by name, I hate to say. You know, I mean, it was just freaky, just freaky. But, but you know, um, you got to read these things with an open mind. All right. Lincioni says one of the worst uh, problems in organizations is meeting. Anybody read the book, Death by Meeting? Don't you love that, that photograph on the cover? I'm just passing around just so you guys can see that great photo. Whether you're leading the meeting or participating in the meeting, how many times do, do, uh, do you relate to that? So real quickly, tell me, what are the attributes? What do your all's meetings look like? If you had to describe your, meet, uh, your meetings in your organization, sit around a table. Start by stating the purpose. As, as that, yeah, and you guys do that. Anita, you absolutely model that. Yeah. All right. What do you what do your meetings look like? How do you describe them? Compelling? Fun? Good. I love it, Bill. That's great. They ought to be sometimes. They ought to be spirited. Anybody have spirited meetings? If you don't, you need to. Oh, I know, yeah. Yeah. If you don't, you need to. You care about the work? too busy to have meetings. I read that book twice. I read it the first time trying to figure out how I could have fewer meetings. Joke was on me. He said, guess what? You're probably going to have more. You're going to have four different types of meetings. You're going to have a daily check-in. You're going to have a weekly tactical. You're going to have a monthly strategic, and you're going to have a quarterly offsite. Kind of likens it to uh, different uh, uh, shows on television. The uh, daily check-in is five minutes to stand up at CNN Headline News. The weekly tactical is the 30-minute sitcom, and the uh, monthly strategic around a single topic is more like the hour uh, drama, and the quarterly offsite is your mini-series. So think about it that way. What he was saying, though, is, and, and I'm horrible at this, probably by evidence of some of my behavior here today, but anyway, I just want to go all over the place all the time, you know? And what he did is gave us a place to park different conversations. And it was just liberating for me and several others. And, and so think about that. It's a great book. It's a quick read. The Leadership Fable always turns out perfectly. It doesn't at the Kentucky Historical Society, but such is life. But think about four different types of meetings and parking these different conversations. You know, the tactical. Actually, he says don't even have an agenda. <gasps> Oh, my gosh, everything else you read about meetings, that's, you know, one of the most important things. Now, you do have a purpose because you want to figure out those tactics. And then you have a set of metrics that provides context. But it's just, you know, and if anything strategic comes up, you park it. We'll either call a special monthly strategic or call a special str strategic about a half-day meeting or, or, or just park it at our, 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 our monthly strategic. And then the quarterly offsite, step back. Do some environmental scanning. What's going on in the profession? Who are your high achievers? Who are your low achievers? We go to real exotic places in Frankfurt, like the uh, Transportation Cabinet Building or the Paul Sawyer Public Library, because they're both free. But it's amazing, you know. Um, there's no golf. There's no spa, you know, when you think of quarterly offsites. You know, there are no frequent flyer miles. But, but, you know, it's really great to get a change of scenery and spend an entire day. Our leadership team spends about 30% of our time together a lot of togetherness but he makes the case that a core group a small core group better spend that kind of togetherness because the future of the organization's at stake so 
hadn't worked out perfectly for us, but it is an interesting set of, 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 of approaches to think about how to improve meetings. I'm sorry, yes, personal health, yes. Um, you want to hand me that white book? So this is, you know, it's funny, I have to read all his books two or three times. The first time I read it, I'm not quite ready for it, and certainly organization isn't. Um, this is the three big questions of the Frantic family. Cinnamon mentioned it, I think, in the intro. And, and uh, this is, I think, a sort of, uh, this is a biography of the Lencioni family is, I think, what happened here. But he's saying, you know, I go all over the, I'll go all over the country, sometimes the world, telling people how to make their organizations more healthy, and yet our family is nothing but a dead sprint. Can anybody relate to that? <laughs> Absolutely. So he said, you know, it's amazing. You can take some of these same principles and apply them to your family. Yeah, keep on going. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. You can apply them to your family. And he said, um, you know, just create a family scorecard. Think real quick. He said, you can do this in an hour. He said, think about what makes your family unique. And create that statement. Put it on paper. It's no big deal. Yep. Yeah, there we go. Um, and then he said, so what's your rallying cry? For the next two or three months, what's the most important thing in your family? And if you don't drive hard to that, guess what's going to happen? In our family, nothing. Three months, we're going to say, gosh, we really, this need, this is important. What do we, you know? And then, you know, has some other, you know, three or four little categories of things that your family has just got to pay attention to. He recommends he recommends a, a weekly meeting with the spouses or whatever for maybe 10 or 15 minutes. I'll be honest with you guys. I know this is being recorded. I have talked about this with my wife and my two kids multiple times. I even bought the whiteboard. I had to pull it out of my trunk so I could put my suitcase to come to St. Paul. I haven't had the courage to whip out the whiteboard, but I got a place for it at the top of the stairs. You know, it's a joke. My family, all three of them, laugh at me because they know I'm going to do it. They don't. Well, my daughter went with me to buy it. She knows I've got it, but we haven't put it up yet. But I think there's some value to put it, writing it down and putting it where you can see it so you can confront these things. But I don't know about you guys, but it's really disheartening on the, da on the days at work when you feel overwhelmed and then you go home. You're overwhelmed there, too. You're just hanging on for the ride. And, and, and my simple point is there are some basic principles here that if you've got enough courage, you can broach the subject. And, uh, you know, you don't do it judgmentally. But we all need this stuff. And I, I'll use one quick example. My wife was a stay-at-home mom for a while. And so our default was when things broke, you just put it on the credit card. Well, wake up one day and had almost a little over $9,000 in credit card debt. It's like, whoa, we had a son getting ready to go to college. So we made that our rallying cry. And in November, we will have paid that debt off because we were intentional about it. We finally put those big challenges to the, you know, the light of day and said, you know, we're going to get serious about this. And we just chipped away for about a year and a half and got it done. And I am just use that as an example to say these principles will work on the home front. It can get really uncomfortable if you're not careful, but, you know, I'm, that organization is the most important organization in all, of our, in all of our lives, and I just think it's great that Lencioni said, listen, I'm at the top of the list needing this, but it might help you guys as well. So I just think that was a neat added dimension to all this. Okay. So, All right. We're going to bring it home now. We've talked about organizational health. Uh, uh, we've talked about the personal health. On the personal health thing um, and talking about families, there's a great, and I, I didn't find it to put it up as a graphic, but there's a great old New Yorker uh, 
uh, cartoon that shows a young couple, newly married couple, that uh, decides we're gonna we're gonna be good about this. So, honey, if I've had a bad day at home, I'm gonna have my you know have my apron turned around. This is a really old New Yorker uh, cartoon, but <laughs> my apron turned around. It's it's literally the cleaver type of thing. A- apron turned around backwards. If you have a bad day, you actually turn your you know turn your hat around backwards, and then we'll know how to deal with each other. You know, at the end of the day, and of course, the very next frame, you've already guessed what it is. She has the you know, the apron turned around backwards. He has the hat turned on sideways, and they've got the dumbfounded look. What do we do next? And that's what Lencioni's trying to say. Is if we have this this plan for that, uh, then we don't have to use just the minor cues. We can actually do that. So both organizationally and personally, we have these cues that we're looking uh, to do, whether it's with the organization uh, or the home front. We asked you at the beginning of the session to download an app or, uh, uh, or uh, perhaps go to the website and take a look at it. Was anyone able to get the app up, and did you take the did you take the survey? This gentleman back here did. What's your name? Uh, Brian Odesky. Brian, Brian, would you mind sharing with us what the results uh, of your organizational? And we're going to wait and let this gentleman bring you the mic. I'm not sure I'm excited about this. <laughs> not. Hey, I took it on the plane. I took it on the plane ride here, and and uh, and here I am. We're we're doing this session, and man, I scored poorly again. So, well, this report is ten pages long. Yeah. So, hit the high points. All right, if I can read it. What on here uh, do you want to know? Well, in, in general, how do you, how do you think you score? What was your overall score? Oh, did, uh, of the four principles, yeah. was there one that you really struggled with more than the other? Uh, over communicating clarity. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we all struggle so with that. So, the tools suggested that will maybe help you get a little bit better? Well, I was trying to pay attention to you guys, so I okay. haven't actually yeah. read the report, but I did pull it up. Um, yeah, w- uh, um, there's not much of what we decide in our leadership team meetings that I think filters down to uh, the field, uh, at least in a systematic way. One of the things that Lencioni says is try spreading a true rumor sometime because we all have the organizational charts and then we all know how the organizations really function. And he said, use that to your advantage. And so you might want to think about spreading a true rumor and just watch it work the network. In fact, we toyed around with maybe doing that here today. But, um, yeah, but that's an interesting way. If there's a healthy, informal culture, use it to your advantage. So for those of you that didn't take the survey, I hope that you will, that you'll download it or you'll go to the website and take it and kind of respond to that. But just in general terms, once again, I've got the graphic up there, the four disciplines, building a cohesive team, creating clarity, over-communicating, reinforcing that clarity. Tell me how you feel about that. Where do you, where do you rank? For those of you that are bold enough, step forward and, and, uh, and tell us how you feel that you're doing. Right here with Linda on the front row is going to tell us how she feels about the organizational health. Um, I did use the app, although I only got the short report because the iPad has problems with it. Um, And reinforced clarity was the big one that came up for us, too. One thing as I've been listening to you guys, how big are your organizations? How many staff? Because it seems like the size of the organization and the structure is key to how to actually put this in place. It, I, I would say that it is, even though I think the principles apply whether you're a, a two-person uh, you know, staff or a hundred-person staff. 
Uh, I told you that I've used these principles in two different organizations. One was in Nashville, Tennessee, and the staff size there was about 30. Uh, my current staff has about 125, so it's a larger organization uh, and three disciplines, so that's why it's uh, so large. Uh, and Kent, what's? We're about uh, 55. Yeah. Um, so it, it really it, it really depends upon. That's why, especially, and you heard that we have basically nine departments, and if you count the executive area, it's ten. Uh, it gets a little more difficult when you're that size of an organization to, to try to set this up. So you have to depend upon your managers a little bit more in that communication, cascading that down. But it works whether it's a two-person shop or, like, say, a 500 for the large museums. It seems like the cascading message is, is a big thing, and that's because it seems in some of these you work with executive staff department managers, but when do you have full full staff meetings or at least with a smaller organization yeah. yeah we we do and actually you heard kent talk about the four different meeting styles because uh, we're a hundred acre property and we have a large campus and we have offices right now throughout the place we chose not to do the daily check-ins because it just sometimes it's difficult to get everybody together so we went to a weekly check-in and then a monthly set down and then quarterly off-sites but we use the uh, the website is kind of the daily thing, so that can change each day depending upon information that's shared. So that's kind of our way for the daily check-in. Uh, but once again, I, you can use these you can use these principles and ways of of doing meeting. Uh, I think with any size organization. Anybody else got any um, observations about your organization's health or any questions uh, that you might have about the session in general? Or so, if you as CEOs, thirty percent of your time must be around fundraising and meeting with donors and so forth, and 30% of your time is with your SL, your senior leaders, more or less. But um, how do you feel about, well, I would say that in our organization, I'm a little reticent to talk to our executive director thinking that his time is really supposed to be spent externally. I'm wondering how you would respond to that as CEOs. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Um, well, I can tell you that the breakdown, uh, the breakdown for me is probably, um, uh, it's probably right now because we're in a capital campaign, it's probably 40% to 50% uh, development, which leaves less time for communication. But a big part of my uh, job is also governance uh, because of the type of organization we are. It's owned by the city, nonprofit manages it. I have a board of 53 people. Uh, so a big part of my uh, my job is uh, <laughs> talk about trying to communicate and trying to over communicate, uh, but that's a that's a big part of it. And I told you we have a large campus and we're kind of diverse in those things. And the thing that I used to do better, and I'm I'm giving you a failure now, that I used to do better that I'm trying to get back into is what I call uh, walkabouts, uh, where I just get out of the office and I walk around and I bump into employees on their job in different places and ask them things like, hey, what what's our you know what are we trying to do right now and what are you doing and and those types of things, and that's part of the communication. That's part of the cascading messaging uh, too. Uh, so sometimes, you know, with, uh, with a CEO in a large organization, you have to find ways. You have to force yourself uh, to get out and, and really do that. Ken has a, you probably spend more, a, a whole lot more time with your senior leadership team than I do, and, and I, I, I would aspire to do that. Right. Um, Talk to your executive director. They need to hear from you. Hopefully they know that. Um, boy, I tell you, I mean, I, that's, that's, how we, that's how I get re-energized 
is getting because I remember Charlie Bryan saying to me, the longer you're in the profession, the further away you're going to get from the part of it you love. And so if I don't get vicarious thrills daily, Ed's nodding his head, then I am running on empty. And I can't do this on fumes. I don't think any of us can. So please, we have an aha board outside uh, the director's office. And, and anytime we see we get a great note back from somebody or we see somebody, uh, a colleague on our staff doing or a volunteer doing something really cool, we'll capture it and put it up on the AHA board. Now we've got an in, a KHS Inside newsletter that's a lot more about not the institutional strategies but more those really cool touch points both personally and professionally. So talk to your executive director regularly. They need that, absolutely. Uh-huh. I just wonder, does anything change if you're trying to push the cascading message or the water upstream? For example, hypothetically, if you are a staff of one and your board looks to you for leadership, do any of these concepts change when you're trying to get them to think of these kinds of questions? No, because this, this message is actually for the board, too. I mean, this cascading, you heard me say that, uh, and Kent has a really neat thing that he does with his organization that he sends out, I think, weekly. Uh, to, to not only his leadership team, but specifically to his board. I do it about every other week, and it's not quite as formal as what Kent does, but absolutely, you have to make sure that not only your board president, my job as the executive director of our organization is to make my president look good. So my job is to take all the information we've got, and I prep that president going into the meeting. They run the meeting. I don't. I'm there to support and do all those things. And so... That means that I have to cascade up and make sure that president knows everything that I do is communicating what the organization does. So absolutely, whether it's a larger organization like ours or a smaller organization, it absolutely has to cascade up. One real simple tool, I worked for Cabinet Secretary 10 years ago and he did the five over five. It's just literally one page, five top accomplishments, five top goals. And this, with the, the, organ, the, uh, uh, the information flows upwards and downwards um, uh, staff people feed into their functional directors, some key accomplishments, some key goals, uh, the director's office, and, and I write the report every week, and I love it, and I hate it every stinking Friday or Saturday or Monday in some cases. Um, but, yeah, it's because this is how I stay connected to the organization because I'm, even if I can't see it firsthand, I'm seeing these big reports and then distilling down. And a lot of times we'll tie it back even to particular strategic goals or attended outcomes, that kind of stuff, so that I'm constantly processing that. This goes to the board officers of our governing board as well as to the officers of our foundation board. And then I send it back out to my colleagues on the leadership team, and then they send it out to their colleagues in their respective areas. So there's this kind of flow of information going every week. And, and you'll love it and you'll hate it, but keep doing it. At least it's been good for me. I got a quick question yeah. about you talk about um, finding the right staff. Yeah. Getting them all on the bus and making sure everybody's working in the same direction. What if all your staff is, but your board members aren't? How do you remove ineffective board members from the team? You that are roadblocks find, or that are? Well, I think you've got to find one or two board members that understand the dynamics. And then going back to, to Norman's governance standpoint, you've got to look and see, is there a mechanism? A lot of times bylaws and constitutions will have a minimum attendance requirement, and a lot of people don't exercise those, but sometimes there's a clause uh, that will enable you to move that first person on. And, and I don't know about you all, you get overcommitted, you, you, you love the mission of a board, but you think, I don't really have time. 
you might want to sit down with that board member and say, you know, your strengths are perfect for our needs, but clearly you don't have time to be really involved. Can we do something to facilitate, make this easier for you so we can get the expertise from you we need? Or, or give them an out, say, hey, if the timing isn't right, you know, you can maybe cycle back later. But I, I think um, it, in true Lincioni fashion, don't ignore it. You know, try to find a diplomatic way to do it. And, and, and hopefully your board president or the governance committee chair understands the dynamic and they've got your back. Maybe they even have that conversation or the two of you go together. But I think to, to just hope it's going to go away. I've tried that many a time over the years. never goes away. usually gets worse. We're past our time, so what I'd like to conclude with is we do have a handout up here. We didn't give it out in advance. I don't think I have enough copies for everyone, so it'll be first come, first serve on the handout. Uh, however, if you, if you don't get one and you'd like to leave us your business card, we can forward that on to you. Someone was asking about the size of the organization, and I want you to know that the principles that we've talked about today is for any size. And I mentioned this in yesterday's CEO forum. Uh, my first mentor was a man by the name of Alvin Gerhardt, and as he talked about my career uh, and where I wanted to go, I'll never forget this because he, he had a great sense of humor and a way of just boiling things down the stories. He said, Norman, he said, it doesn't matter what size pool that you're going to be swimming in, you have to know how to swim first. And that that's, speaks spades. So whether you're in a one-person shop or you're in, in a 500-person shop, you have to know how to swim. You have to have these principles to be able to do that. So don't be discouraged about the size of your organization. Every organization needs to be healthy, and you need to be healthy too. Thank you, everyone. Sentiment has handouts over here. And I've got samples of our identity statement and the weekly report. No, those are handouts over here.